0: Welcome to the Cruising Altitude Podcast.
1: Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to Cruising Altitude. Uh, Ryan Wagus back again Vice President of uh, Priority Jet with Marlon Priest. Uh, hello Marlon. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. spent a lot of time in um, Wichita last week, uh, the great state of Kansas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And <laughs> made, made it back to Birmingham, and now th- most of the day was dealing with um, part issues, core getting cores back to the proper spots and uh, for starter generation for one of our uh, airplanes. So fun times. Um, but today I wanted to talk about what the Department of Labor uh, kind of has uh, uh, sent out in one of their you know new interpretations of a law that has existed. Um, that's clarifying, you know, the status of
2: contract employees. That can be a very confusing topic because there are so many variations in it from state to state, and then the federal impact. Uh, so yeah, it's, I think it's a it's a good topic. And you've uh, seen this a lot. I huh? have seen this yeah. uh, with my history. I've I've had uh, some exposure with this from the maintenance perspective and somewhat from a, uh, a pilot perspective. Uh, as we mentioned, we talked earlier. Uh, i think before we started before we started the podcast it is a pretty common practice has been in the past for operators to use contract employees in one area or another one means or another and it can be a slippery slope if you're not aware of what the situation is with your state with your with the department of labor and even with the irs depending on how you classify your employees and then how that. how that dictates how you can end up classifying folks as contractors or part-timers
1: well I think that's one of the things why I wanted to to bring in um, someone who I felt like could really start educating uh, everyone including myself about utilizing contract uh, employees and and the do's and don'ts Uh, so I want to welcome our guests um, Clint Spiegel Uh, he is an uh, attorney that has an aviation law practice with Lightfoot, Franklin, and White. Welcome, Clint. Thanks, Ron, for having me, Marlon. Thank you very much. Yep. Welcome. Thank you. So, I think the biggest thing, um, I mean, Marlon, you,
2: you've seen a lot more of this than I have. What questions you know, can we ask Clint? And, and kind of I think for, for Clint, uh, the first question I would ask is Is there any cut and dried, easy yes or no answer when it comes to classification?
3: No, it's just like any other law problem. There, there's rarely a <laughs> bright line answer. Um, largely, it's fact specific. Um, what may work for your company may not work for Ron's company.
2: Yep. And that uh, I think, again, that can be part of the slippery slope. You know, we we tend to, in this business, uh, develop a checklist or a mode of operation. And if it works for one operator, oftentimes, we think it'll work for another maybe a similar size or no of employees. But again, like you say, it all, it all goes back to your particular situation, your particular company, how could be even how your company is organized, how you set your flight department up.
3: Exactly. Um, and even who you're using as a contract pilot would, would have a big play of what their determination is under the FLSA. Like experience levels? or No, uh, more of how they control their own business. Um, or what, and even, well, I guess experience to a certain extent because, you know, what type ratings they might have on an airplane. And that all goes into the factors that the uh, Department of Labor recently um, released when determining whether or not someone's an independent contractor
1: or not. So if I'm a, let's just paint this picture, if I'm a CFI and I'm starting to kind of evolve out of the, the training atmosphere, I'm out here and kind of sitting in the right seat of some of these smaller turbine aircraft and kind of getting experience. Should I form an LLC or, and have like be, like myself would be the entity uh, that these uh, owner operators or, or corporations would pay? Or, I mean, like how would that work? How does that? Now, I'm, I'm going to
3: recommend that that CFI actually form an LLC because then that protects the, their assets, protects themselves from it um, now as far as it affects the um, the, the corporate aviation flight department mm-hmm. again that kind of goes to the factors
1: and, and those factors are like I mean again you've got a 91 flight department and you've got a core group of pilots let's say you know four full time guys or five full time guys and you just need you kinda of have your pool of of contract employees that you pull from when times get tight.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Is I mean how do you navigate that? That's what I'm trying to say. Like how do you from the from the corporation side of things, how do you cover yourself from being exposed? Um, versus the contract laborer saying, Hey, yes, yeah, pay me my day rate and I'm good and I'll go away. Right? Like in, <laughs> That is the million-dollar question. So this um, is just a very vague, vague, vague it, it, issue. It is, it is okay.
3: extremely vague, um, and as, I, as I've said <sighs> at least once, uh, it is so fact-specific. Mm-hmm. It it involves everything from how the individual contract pilot manages his own flight schedule to what certifications he has to what type of business you, the corporate uh, flight department are in. If, uh, say for instance, you're um, an agriculture uh, tractor manufacturer, Mm -hmm. is your integral main part of your company manufacturing um, tractor components? Or is it flying around to different areas of the United States to sell, which you know, then then you got flying involved in? Mm -hmm. So you, you
2: have to look at what the, the corporation does as a whole, I think is the start point. I think that's, you know, reading this, this administrator's interpretation, I think it's number 2015-1, it came out in July 15th of this year. Uh, and having read through this, it seemed like the more the deeper I got into this, the more confusing it got <laughs> because there were so many scenarios just like you talked about, you know, there's not there is not any one thing that you could call a cookie cutter or a boilerplate template that you can use everything. There's almost like a you know, you have to look at a, you have to find a scenario that fits you the closest plug plug your department or your company into that scenario and see if there are any variations and maybe even yes. you know, would you suggest it might be a good idea even to get your uh, your HR or maybe your tax people within the company or even, you know, maybe corporate legal involved whenever you go down this path to make sure you're dotting eyes and crossing T's because you're dealing with with labor, mm-hmm. you're dealing with exposure to workers' compensation, you're mm-hmm. dealing with exposure to taxes, exempt, non exempt. I mean, there's just all kinds of, of issues here that can, you know, doors can open and, and Issues and fines and all kinds of stuff can come at you, and you're just trying to do the right thing.
3: Yes, sir. I I would say that the the corporate flight department manager that's out there right now needs to be talking to the hierarchical chain of the corporation. They need to be talking to general counsel. They need to be talking to HR um, because those those are the people that have the finger of the pulse of Mm -hmm. what. Department of Labor is doing how they're managing. Um, and even though I, I doubt we're going to see an influx of aviation related cases, there are plenty of parallel cases out there, be it um, you know, a, a yacht, you know, someone having a yacht, mm-hmm. um, where they contract a, a, Bo- a captain. boat captain. Yeah. Um, There's just so many different parallel cases out there that your HR and your general counsel can go out They can find those parallel cases and start figuring out what facts match for me. What facts don't match for me And then the fun part is you did say that there is no cookie cutter answer to this That's that's what I think is fun about this area because I can argue either way on any set of circumstances now it's fun for me, the lawyer, but it might not be <laughs> too much fun. It might be pretty painful for those of us trying to figure out just to yeah, do the right thing. It, exactly, <laughs> it may not be too much fun when the uh, Department of Labor comes knocking at the door, yeah. or the IRS. And as you said, be- because there's so much interagency play these days, mm-hmm. where they're all talking to one another, um, you know, it's more likely the, the better our federal government gets integrated and the state government gets integrated the more likely that you know some
2: of these things are going to go up the flagpole um, i think another thing that we don't think about so much we probably should be paying more attention to is is the the incident where you may have someone who is not a full-time employee uh, working in your facility and is injured now you you open up a whole other thing now you got working potential working comp you got potential litigation and so then you just open up another layer and it's just something that traditionally in the past we've not uh, I don't feel like we've spent a lot of time thinking these things through they tend to be very scenario based the need pops up we have a local talent talent pool we reach in and pluck somebody out we Mm fill that need and we press on so that, that I would say that's the typical scenario but in these times in these days as you said flight department management has got to be more knowledgeable and has got to reach out across the lines into the corporate structure because you know whatever this if you find yourself in a in a scenario where you're attracting unwanted attention it is not only going to impact the flight department it's going to impact corporate mm-hmm. so that's that's what we're seeing a lot of now even down to NTSB the way they handle investigations if there if there's a safety issue that caused a the situation they're going to look back at the whole culture within corporate operation a- absolutely and
3: and you bring up a good point there is no fine line between what is a um, FLSA issue for the listeners FLSA is the Fair Labor Standards Act um, and that's the Depressionary Act, which basically set the minimum wage. So when you hear say FLSA, that's what we're talking about. Um, but there is no fine line between FLSA, workman's comp, tax issues, um, and then litigation. When you have a person fall in the hangar or a, a plane crashes or you have a contract dispute because you didn't show up on time, something to that effect. Um, there, there is no fine line, they all interplay with each other. And where it gets really complicated is when they are actually um, interfering with one another. When you're trying to you know, do something right for FLSA matter, but then that's going to put you in a bad position when it comes to litigation. Um, the, the best advice I can give to any flight department in that regards is you're gonna to have to weigh the pros and cons of each decision that you make as far as do I want to hire from a certain pool, do I want to open advertise, do I want to bring in somebody else and pay them minimum wage just as a retainer fee. Um, you're gonna have to weigh all that stuff and figure out what's best for your flight department. The only way to do that is for the flight department management to talk to the people in corporate
1: HR, general counsel, That's and just the input. COO, yeah. et cetera. That is good info. So back to the contract um, CFI, they got the new pilot. You would say, get an LLC. Yes, protect yourself. Protect yourself, and that's going to that's and indirectly protect everybody because yes. the, the, the operator would pay the LLC, and we everything's okay yep. covered. Yep, P- protect yourself first. Interesting. So flight departments, I think the big uh, thing here is address. Look at this in your SOP. Address um, contract labor in your SOP. Would you guys not agree?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think I think it'll be difficult to to get a black and white, but there should be some reference in there that for each scenario, flight or maintenance, there needs to be communication with your corporate structure, HR, corporate counsel, however that is. You know there. What what we don't want to have flight departments do here is to make assumptions. Right. Because some assumptions can be based on incorrect or non factual information, and if you find yourself in that boat, once you do, if you get in a scenario, you're attracting negative attention. Then the first question from corporate is going to be, "Why didn't you let us know? Why didn't you call us before you started down this pathway?" And, to, so, and a caveat
3: off that too. Um, Corporate knows they, they have their plans, they have their intent, and the flight department wants to make sure they're not doing something that's going to be contrary to the to the larger intent, and that might actually get them in trouble in the future um, because something they're putting in an SOP or whatnot conflicts with um, with other policy for the company or
2: other law. So, I mean, general counsel is certainly the way to go there. And I think we mentioned this earlier in this whole new arena of how we're looking at corporate culture not just how things, if it's a manufacturing plant, culture might be this way, if it's service, it may be this way mm-hmm. and how in the event that there is something, an occurrence that attracts FAA, NTSB, Department of Labor, IRS, one of the things we mentioned earlier is that they are looking at how that culture flows company. So they're looking for parallels from the flight department back to corporate and from corporate back to flight department to make sure that culture is dispersed across the borders and that things are in agreement because like you said, if there's if there's conflict or there's disconnects, then that's what they tend to key on and start asking questions. And it, it makes it can make it very difficult when you find yourself in that environment. And that's risen in its head
1: in I mean, we keep saying culture, 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 that's that you know, really resonates when there's an incident or something. Uh, ab- absolutely. The
3: the culture of the flight department is one of the first things that everyone's going to be looking at. Does the flight department promote a culture of safety? Does the flight department promote training? Does the flight department... I could go on and on and on with does the flight department do blank and that defines the culture of the flight department and when, when something catastrophic happens, um, NTSB, FAA, that, that's what they're looking at
1: is what, what is the culture of that flight department. And th- that answers a lot and of the questions. What do they do with that, though? I mean, they, they, okay, there's a bad culture of, of not a, a, a very little oversight. What do they do with that? I mean, it leads down trails. Yeah, so it just it, opens up to another door. Yeah. Door, another door. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, I, I tell clients when, when you get regulators onto on to your business, it's like a hound door. dog picking yeah. up a scent. It, it, exactly. The uh, more they find, the
2: more they look. The more they look, the more they find. It, exactly. So. It opens the
1: door. So we can have an incident, and then we start just scratching it, the surface and finding something, yeah, and that leads a to A little snowball,
2: else. it becomes an avalanche. Yep.
3: It's a Interesting. Wow. And, and that, that's why I, I think SOPs are so important, because not only are you protecting yourself regards of FLSA and workers comp and all that. But you're also protecting yourself when the catastrophic incident does take place.
2: Did we follow this procedure?
3: Did did, did we We do this? Okay.
2: And we we've talked about we talked about earlier, I think before we started the, the podcast, there are resources out there other than just your corporate counsel know, there, there, there may be the situation where m- the corporate council may not be as familiar with a flight department operation as they should be. So there are resources out there that you can find relatively easily on the internet. And if, you're, if you happen to be a member of an association such as NBAA or others, there are, you know, others besides NBAA. There's AOPA. There's a number of alphabet groups out there. If your companies are members of those, tap into, you you say it was a good idea to tap I, into those resources?
3: I, absolutely. I'm a proponent of audits, too. Yeah. Um, I would much rather have a friendly face come into my hangar and start digging around my books um, than have a guy with a government badge come in and say,
1: I'm the <laughs> government, I'm here to help. Yeah. So when you say audits, are you talking like Argus, or are you talking about like Wyvern audits, or what, what? what do we say audits? I, I use audits very very
3: generally, okay. um, it, it can be a safety audit, it can be a maintenance audit, um, okay. it can be just a general operations audit, um, just to come in periodically and make sure
1: that you've got every, all your ducks in a row. Okay, very interesting. I think the big thing, um, now I think we've had enough of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Enough! But before, before we end Let me just tell the
3: listeners That I, I don't think that there's a, there's a seismic um, Shift um, Imminently on the horizon um, there, there are several exceptions To every law Which as a lawyer, again, I love exceptions um, And as far as like, The FLA, S, FLSA stuff goes um, there, There's a split right now Between whether or not a pilot Even falls under that and I'm sure that state laws have similar things, too, that should be looked at. So until some of the exceptions get worked out and uh, uh, this matures a little bit more, uh, there's, there's no reason to go out and decide to build a robust flight department. Um, but I would start looking at how you can improve your flight department so that if this
1: does change, that you're protected. I mean, you guys, I think, look, Money is becoming more and more scarce. Period. Right? I mean, it, you hear it across the board. Airports are looking for funding. The gov- government is just—it's tax. There's not enough funds there. So we saw this as just, an, uh, you know, an end to another, to, source, another of source of income. Period. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh.
2: Claire, we want to thank you for coming in this afternoon and, uh, and spending some time with us. We know this is a one of those subjects that there is no black and white. There's a tremendous amount of gray, which is something that <laughs> in the aviation industry we see enough of, don't we? <laughs> oh, God. But uh, I think this is uh, this has been a good conversation so and uh, we at some point will probably want to have you back as we see this moving down the road. At least we got it in front of the operators now. They know mm-hmm. if you haven't been keeping up with changes, you know this administrator's interpretation is out there. Go find it and at least have the conversation. So, you know, don't don't sit on it this right. is something that could haunt you later on
3: thank, thank you all very much for having me I'll be glad to come back anytime to discuss this or um, more fun topics also that uh, involve aviation well, yeah we look forward, look to, forward that. to it absolutely
2: thank you that was a good conversation with Glenn it thank was you, it, uh, you know it's, it's one of those areas that we would probably rather not be in but it's good to at least put that subject on the table and put it out there for the operators to consider because it is something that you can't ignore. Mm -hmm. Even though it's another part of our industry
1: that's great. So uh, Let's pause for a moment and thank our sponsors.
0: Experience the ultimate in aviation services with Priority Jet. The premier private jet charter, aviation maintenance, and aviation management provider, Priority Jet operates light and mid-sized jets throughout North America, Central and South America, and the Caribbean. At Priority Jet, our mission is to exceed the expectations of our customers by providing personalized private jet services that reflect our commitment to safety, efficiency, and the highest level of customer service. This includes everything from personalized air travel solutions to our exclusive luxury options. Whether you require a private jet charter flight, private jet aircraft management services, or simply need our industry-wide expertise, Priority Jet can help. Contact us today, toll-free, at 888-538-5332 or visit us online at PriorityJet.net and discover for yourself how you can experience the ultimate in aviation services with Priority Jet.
1: So... One of the main key terms that we continued to hear in today's discussion was audits, audits and culture. Whether it's a compliance audit, safety audit, maintenance audit, or an FLSA audit, and you know, from my standpoint, I'm over here going, who would I turn to? This is my role, and I'm sitting here going, wow, this. I'm concerned about
2: my flight department or my operation.
1: Who would I turn to?
2: As we mentioned in the, in the podcast uh, earlier, there are a number of resources available. It could be a large firm, nationally known firm, something like a flight safety foundation. Uh, there are a number of smaller firms that do this. You know, it could be down to a very small company that could do an audit tailored the way you want the audit structure. There are also resources in the alphabet associations like AOPA, like mm-hmm. NBAA. You know, one one thing you, I would suggest that, that, that the listeners might consider is looking at the website, find out what information is there if you're a member of one of these associations. If you have difficulty with the website, find out who your local or your regional representative is for that association and contact them and ask them. You know, make yourself a list of resources, what it is that you're looking mm-hmm. for, the, the answers to the questions that you have, and ask them to provide that information or provide you with a contact a resource that you can go to and find this information it's out there there's a there's a number of resources out there it is oftentimes not easy to access it's that's the point find.
1: that is the, the challenging so, thing there's so much information how do you access it yeah there's there's a lot of information oh. out there on
2: the internet sometimes you have to weed through the minutia to get to the good stuff so okay. You know, I guess you know that would be a couple of suggestions interesting okay
1: excellent well, I think we've wrapped our hands you know around with the you know where we are with the you know interpretation of the the new law it's really not a new law but it's, it's something that's rearing its head again because people are looking for for money um, government's <laughs> looking for money <laughs> um So, enough of all the uh, Department of Labor issues and uh, some more some lighter subject matter, um, <laughs> I was listening to an advertisement the other day, and there was a, a female voice on the advertisement. It was just so soothing it was just oh, it's kind of breath fresh air
2: mm-hmm. and uh, I thought of you because you told me that story about what, 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 yeah, what was it, what, was relaying uh, some water cooler talk you know you when you go to these training centers. Uh, you oftentimes, will we call it water cooler talk. You'll hear stories being traded during breaks, back and forth. And, and I heard a story. I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe one of our podcast listeners, who's a fighter pilot, might could uh, could let us know. Uh, you know, or contact us through some of the social media sources that we use. But I heard that uh, that there have been cases where the oral warnings inside the cockpit for fighter pilots would oftentimes be a female voice because in the heat of battle, the pilots tend to get focused on the battle, get tunnel vision and tend to zone out with the other sounds, particularly if it's another male voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but a soothing female voice or a female voice that is direct and right. to the point tends to pierce through all that. Now, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. But there's a little, you know, another little bit of, that's bit of useless information like the definition of stars, you know, so there you go. I love it. I love it.
1: Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us today, Mom. Thank you again. Yep, it's been fun. And, Enjoyed it. Uh, we will uh,
2: have something, some new fun topics to talk about soon. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll keep. You know, I think Clint will, uh, will come back to visit again. I think he has some good relevant material and other things he can help us with. And and uh, we're looking at other topics as we, especially as we prepare for the upcoming winter season, and we may. Look at something, how we can uh, inform flight crews and, and operations on how to prepare their aircraft for winter operations. Perfect. Other things to look forward to. Until next time, guys. Thanks.
3: Thank you for listening to the Cruising Altitude Podcast.